Amen. Well, um, I was uh, away for a couple of days this week um, on retreat, which I was really grateful for. Uh, but it involved driving past Stonehenge, which I was less grateful for. And I'm sure we all probably know what that's like, don't we? Driving past Stonehenge, it's a bit of a nightmare. You find yourself in the queue. And uh, why is everybody sort of slowing down to look at Stonehenge? It's infuriating. And uh, I think there's probably two kinds of people driving past Stonehenge. Half of the people are driving past, slowing down to get a good look and thinking, oh, wow, isn't it amazing? It's been there for years. And the other half of the people, a bit like me, sat grumpily behind them going, we are going to be here for years if you don't hurry up and uh, get your eyes on the road. And it's extraordinary. As soon as you get past Stonehenge, suddenly, miraculously, the traffic jam disappears and you go on your way. And uh, I don't know whether anyone else has had that experience. It seems every single time I drive past Stonehenge, that's what's happening. And they're going to build a, a tunnel I think, to stop this problem, which I don't know why they don't build a hedge. It'd be a lot cheaper. Um, But it is amazing, isn't it, Stonehenge? It is amazing. It's been there for thousands of years, and nobody knows why. They never wrote down what it actually is for. It's the most extraordinary monument, but we we don't really know what the purpose of it is. And the one thing which people are agreed, there seems to be unanimous consent, that it's obviously some sort of... Uh, spiritual, it has spiritual significance. And people go there because they want a religious encounter. They want to encounter the divine. And so that's what people do. They flock there. They're after, a, a, you know, a, a religious, a spiritual experience. The summer solstice, thousands of people gather to watch the sunrise perfectly sort of lining up with the stones. So the question is, are they in the right place? Not the stones, I mean. Are the people in the right place? The people who are after an encounter with the divine, are they in the right place? Is the equinox at Stonehenge the place to be if you want to encounter God? Well, that's our question for this morning. How can we know God? How can we have a true spiritual encounter with him? And that's the subject that our psalm, which we just read, and I thought you read it beautifully, um, gets right at Psalm 19. So it tells us, all about how we can have an encounter with God. And the first thing it tells us is we don't have to guess what God is like. Actually, God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, this week I've been reading um, this novel, Silence. Anyone read, this, read the novel Silence or come across it? They made it into a movie, which I watched the movie a few years ago and I thought it was a really very moving film. And uh, it's all about... Um, these Jesuit missionary priests to Japan in the 17th century. They go to the persecuted church and, and the, the samurai in Japan are kind of killing all the Christians, basically, and beheading them wherever they're found. It's brutal. And so these, these missionaries there, um, the, the, the movie really, it's called Silence. It's all about how, where is God in all of the pain and all of the persecution? And Martin Scorsese, who turned the novel into a very moving film, He wrote this in the introduction to the book. Quote, silence, it's the title of the story, silence is the story of a man who learns so painfully that God's love is more mysterious than he knows, but he's always present, even in his silence. Well, is that right? Is that right? I don't want to belittle uh, crises of faith, or seasons of spiritual doubt and darkness, which I've definitely been through, and I'm sure many of us here will as well. But actually, is that right, that God is sometimes silent? What does the psalm say? Actually, verse 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies 
proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world declare, proclaim, speech, knowledge, words, voice. These are six synonyms, all describing the same thing, which is that God speaks. He speaks. And it's not like he sometimes speaks. You know, sometimes God is speaking, but other times he's kind of silent. Sometimes he just keeps stum. No, actually, no. look at verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and the picture is of a spring or a stream or a brook just bubbling over. Day after day, pouring forth speech, night after night, revealing knowledge. God speaks. He's not silent. That's how, who God is. He's a speaking God. In the beginning, it says God spoke the world into being. In fact, it says in the New Testament that Jesus has described his name. One of his names is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. So if we can't hear God, well, I wonder whether it's not so much that the problem is that God isn't speaking, but perhaps it's that we're not able to hear him. Well, how does God speak? How does God speak? Well, the psalm, um, did you notice it speaks, it tells us that God speaks in different ways. Did you spot that it's kind of in two halves? If you look down at the psalm, you can see, actually, there's a break, isn't there, in between verse 6 and 7. There's a gap in between the verses. And so parts, verses 1 to 6 is part 1, and verses 7 onwards is part 2, and then there's a conclusion at the end. Well, part 1 is all about the way that God reveals himself through nature, through the creation. Look at verse 1. It's the heavens that declare the glory of God, the skies proclaiming the work of his hands. Verse 4 talks about in the heavens God's pitched a tent for the sun. So it's the heavens, the skies, the stars, the sun. That's speaking. We, um, uh, I got ordained in um, St. Paul's Cathedral. If you've been to St. Paul's Cathedral in London, it's the most amazing uh, building, absolutely extraordinary. And it was famously built, you may know, by Sir Christopher Wren after the Great Fire of London. And Christopher Wren's buried in the crypt of St. Paul's. But unlike all the other great noble people who are buried in the crypt of St. Paul's, like Wellington and Nelson and all these wonderful people, they, who they've got these huge, great big tombs and monuments, Christopher Wren, all he's got in the crypt, in the corner, is a tiny little plaque on the wall, which I can't read because it's in Latin. But if you can read Latin, what it says is, Reader, do you seek his memorial? Well, look around you. And the point is, the whole of St. Paul's Cathedral is the memorial to Christopher Wren. And isn't the creation like that? Isn't this world that we live in, the skies, the sun, the stars, the sunsets, the planet that we live in, the whole thing is just telling us so much of who God is. I'm sure we will have all experienced something of the, you know, kind of a mountaintop moment. You know, maybe you've seen the sunrise or the sunset or you've gazed out at the stars and just thought, wow, God is speaking. And I can hardly, I don't know whether you watch the David Attenborough documentaries. I can hardly, I love watching those, but I can hardly watch it without just going, wow, what a planet God has made. And it tells us so much about who he is. So in that sense, well, are the Druids in the right place? I think there are, aren't they, in one sense. Are they in the right place to have a divine encounter? I think probably being at the solstice at Stonehenge isn't a bad start, is it? You know, to see the sun, 
The extraordinary great big blazing sun. I mean, look at verse 5 says, the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. There they are at, the, at Stonehenge all waiting for him. When's he going to appear? Like a champion rejoicing to run its course, rising at one end of the heavens. And, you know, David, King David, David and Goliath David, who wrote this, it was saying, what an amazing sun. They didn't know half of what we know about the sun. I mean, we know that the sun burns four million tonnes of matter every single second, four million tonnes a second. And it's still got enough to keep going for the next five billion years. It's amazing, the sun. And yet, the sun is not God, as many of the ancients thought, and I expect some people at Stonehenge probably think. Actually, the sun is simply one of millions and billions and trillions of stars that's been breathed out by our awesome creator. So that's the first half of the psalm. The first half of the psalm is look out and look at the way that God speaks to us through the creation. But in the second half, the scene changes and we put away the telescope and we come down the mountain and inside and down the corridor into the library. And there, crouched over a desk with a reading lamp, wearing a pair of glasses, is somebody poring over an old leather book. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts, verse 8, the commands, the fear of the Lord is pure. The decrees of the Lord are firm. And here's six further synonyms, six things which are describing together, well, they're describing the Bible. They're describing the word of God, the written scriptures. The law is a shorthand for the words of the Bible. In David's day, it was the Old Testament. He was writing before Christ. But for us as New Testament believers, it's the whole of the Old and the New Testament. It's the whole of the Bible. So David, King David, was somebody who knew God through the great outdoors. He was a shepherd. He knew the nature and creation, but he also knew God through his written word. God speaks to us in different ways. He speaks to us through the stars. He speaks to us through his word. Well, which do we think is better? Which is the more helpful and clear revelation of the true God. What should we be praying for Felix as he grows up? Should we be praying for him to be a kind of spiritual David Attenborough or Bear Grylls out there experiencing, encountering God through creation? Or should we pray for him to be a kind of spiritual Hermione Granger, who's the bookworm from Harry Potter, if you don't know who Hermione Granger is? Who's going to have the clearer picture of the true God. Well, I think we might think, well, it's probably a bit of both, isn't it? But I think we might think, oh, well, the stars, that's really, you know, that's real. But actually, no, the psalm makes it clear the book trumps creation every time. Why? Because verse 3, actually, the creation has no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Well, hang on a minute. Hasn't verse 2 said they pull forth speech? Well, yes, it, The creation speaks, but without speaking. I mean, what it's saying is that if you go to Stonehenge at the summer solstice and watch the sunrise and listen, you'll hear precisely nothing. You won't hear anything. If you go and you just cry out to God and you say, God, are you there? Who are you? What are you like? How should we live? What should I do with my life? Is there hope? What about suffering? Is there any life after death? We won't get any answers to those questions through a telescope. 
But by contrast, look at what the Bible can do. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Is your soul in need of refreshing this morning? Well, the Bible can refresh your soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Maybe we think, oh, I don't know very much about God. Well, how do we want to get wisdom? We've got to go to here, got to go to the book. It gives, verse 8, joy to the heart. We can all do with a little bit of joy. In fact, Felix means happy, doesn't it? How's Felix going to be happy and joyful? Well, it's the precepts of the Lord which are right, giving joy to the heart. Do we seek enlightenment? It's the commands of the Lord that are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And that's why, verse 10, the scriptures are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey from the comb. The Bible can do all those things in a way that stars and sunsets never can. It's a little bit like... uh, it's a little bit like The Little Mermaid. I don't know whether this is a bit of a ridiculous illustration. I don't know if you've seen The Little Mermaid. Maybe you haven't. I'll give you a spoiler. Um, in The Little Mermaid, um, the, the, the Little Mermaid has, to, has three days to get a true love's kiss from the handsome prince. But the only trouble is she's under a spell. The wicked witch has stolen her voice. So she's telling him that she loves him. And she's trying her best to communicate that, but because she can't speak... And the handsome prince can tell, he can just about tell that she loves him. You know, you can see from her smile and the kind of the, the twinkle in her eyes that she loves him. But it's not enough. It's only when the spell is broken. It's only when she can speak that she's able to tell him how much she loves him. And that is so much more powerful. I mean, isn't that all the difference in the world between the two halves of the psalm? Yeah, it's wonderful to be able to learn something of God from the sun, from the twinkle in God's eye. But if we really want to know him, we've got to listen to what he says. It's a lovely plaque, isn't it, in St. Paul's Cathedral, saying, oh, it's his monument. You can learn about Christopher Wren by looking at the building. You can't tell much about Christopher Wren from the building, can you? You've got to read a biography if you really want to know him. And so actually, those of us who might say, well, you know, I believe there's a God. I believe, I believe he's out there. But I connect with God. I don't really want to come to church. You know, I much more connect with God in kind of nature. I'm really at home when I'm doing the gardening. You know, I'm out there, uh, I'm out for a walk, or I'm on the golf course, or I'm on the beach. That's really my church. Well, I think we know what people mean when they say that. But the thing is, if we say that, well, we're missing out. We're settling for the twinkling of God's eye. And we're missing out on everything that he said. One person who knows this is the queen. The queen is... Well, she's, she's wealthy, isn't she? I mean, she's incalculably wealthy. She's, depending on how you work it out, the Queen's the richest person in the country. And she owns so much. All the palaces, I mean, Buckingham Palace and Balmoral and Windsor Castle, and you think, oh, she owns half of London, Regent Street and Trafalgar Square and Hyde Park. She owns a priceless art collection and half the coastline, apparently, of the country she owns and all the dolphins in the sea and all the swans on the Thames. I mean, the Queen owns so many wonderful, valuable things. But there's one thing the Queen has which is more valuable than anything else in her possession. And it was presented to her in the coronation service on a cushion with the words, this is the most valuable thing in the world. What did they give her? One of these. The Queen knows that the Bible, verse 10, is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. I think King David knew a thing about gold. He was a wealthy man. He had loads of gold. And he would say, if we were, I'm sure we would be tempted. I mean, if he said, all right, if I'll swap my Bible for all the wealth of the queen, 
probably do it in a flash, wouldn't we? King David would say that would be a bad trade. This is worth so much more. And that's why we want to give baby Felix a Bible and pray that he would grow up to treasure the value of knowing God's words. Do you know how valuable and precious your Bible is? Do you know how sweet it tastes? Do you open your Bible and find refreshing for your soul and wisdom for the simple and joy and enlightenment? Or does it sit neatly on the shelf? Well, there's a challenge for us. Look at the way the psalm finishes. It's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? It's not just a great prayer for preachers to start their sermons with. It's a prayer for all of us as Christians. Because actually when we do have a true encounter with the real God, we don't want anything to get in the way of us hearing him. We said at the start that it's not that God isn't speaking. It's that we let our sin, all the noise, get in the way of us being able to hear. And that's why he says, verse 12, forgive my hidden faults. Verse 13, keep your servant from willful sins. It's a bit like the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our sins. Lead me not into temptation. I don't want anything to get in the way of me hearing from you. Because the amazing story of the Bible, which we can never get from a sunset or a, or a star escape, is that God is not just the creator. He's the saviour. He's not just the rock, verse 14. He's the redeemer.